I want you to be treated well. I want that for you. I care about you, I care about how you're treated, I want you to be treated well. You have inherent worth and dignity, you deserve it. How we do that is an age-old question. Some of the earliest written texts are texts about how we should treat each other. Let's actually go back before written texts, before any known history. Let's go back to the first time that two beings interacted. So I'm imagining the vast primordial soup. Amongst all this jostling, a strand of RNA bumps into another strand of RNA. And then the first strand of RNA does not say, excuse me, pardon me, I'm sorry. It does not say, here, let me pick up that stray strand of a piece of amino acid that you dropped. So in this vast primordial soup, a strand of RNA bumps into another strand of RNA, and then they just go on with their lives. No recognition of wrongdoing, no redemptive arc to the story, no presence of morality or even politeness, no generosity, no compassion. Years go by, eons pass, in another part of the world, in the long grass by a river, two rodents are playing with each other, and they are play fighting. One is a little bigger, so the big rodent jumps on the smaller one, torques it over, pins it down. The bigger rodent jumps up, and its eyes beam as if to say, I won. The smaller rodent's eyes beam as if to say, that was fun. Let's do that again. So they play again, they wrestle again. Again, the bigger rodent wins. And still the smaller rodent's eyes beam. That was fun, let's do it again. So they play wrestle again, and this time the bigger rodent lets the smaller rodent win. Rats will only play fight with bigger rats if they win at least a third of the time. So a behavior agreement has appeared in evolutionary history. You may say it's an instinct, not an agreement, fair enough. So whether it is in our genes or conscience or in their reason, these rodents behave as if how we treat each other matters. So that is a fabulous step in evolutionary history. Years pass, eons, humans come into existence. By this time, we are jam-packed with instincts. Do not eat your cousin. Be nice to others. Be wary of others. So we have evolved conflicting drives, both the drive to be selfish and the drive to be pro-social. And evolution continues, both genetic evolution and cultural evolution. Humans spread out, geographically adapting to any and all conditions. Social behaviors that made sense in a lush river valley don't necessarily make sense struggling to survive in the Alps. 
so humans adapt new norms and thrive and grow. In India, 2,300 years ago, roughly, new technology made settlements thrive and expand. So huge numbers of people began living in dense cities. Uh, the king, whose name was Ashoka, realized that they needed different social norms. What worked in villages did not work in big cities. In big cities, you had to interact with people you did not know, so good behavior could no longer depend on social or genetic ties. Ashoka put up these big pillars all over India with behavior expectations inscribed on the pillars. So you are now expected to interact with compassion, liberality, honesty, gentleness, and goodness. starting to sound like a covenant. The notion of covenant comes from the Jewish tradition and originally involved behavior expectations handed down from above, uh, combined with having a special relationship with God. The Christian tradition inherited this notion of covenant, and when the democratic impulse came to church, the meaning of covenant was changed accordingly. To take an example, in the, the, in the 17th century in Massachusetts, the Salem Church would say, we covenant with the Lord and with one another. So we're now covenanting with one another. This practice continued, and in the 1930s, someone named L. Griswold Williams wrote, love is the doctrine of this church, the quest for truth is its sacraments, and service is its prayer. Thus do we covenant with each other and with God. Many of us are not atheists, so now as a church body, we only covenant with each other. As far as I know, the fellowship I grew up in did not have an official covenant, but it might as well have, because people behaved in a specific way. In the fellowship I grew up in, the unspoken covenant was be kind and generous, have potlucks, <laughs> ask challenging questions. We had a reputation with guest speakers for asking tough questions. My first memory of covenant being front and center was at a young adult weekend at Unicamp, which is a UU campground near Toronto. We gathered in the dining hall around a chalkboard and we wrote down things like, I will speak in I statements. Take space, make space, which means if you're talking a lot, you'll make room for other people to talk. And if you're not talking, you have permission to just speak up. I discovered that my whole personality changed when those were the behavior norms. This young adult covenant made me feel grounded, open, ready to be myself, and discover who I was as a social being. All communities have behavior norms. Sometimes the norms are so established that nobody thinks of them. Sometimes the norms are a work in progress. I think that the young adult community expressed their norms because in the rest of our lives, we could not take those norms for granted. 
we can become a bit jaded and hide our goodness at school or at work, sometimes even with family. So the Young Adult Covenant taught me how to create the culture I was looking for. You can actually talk about it and set new norms. Often when you want to change a culture, there are four stages you go through. Four stages of cultural change. So stage one is to unconsciously do things the old way. There are no official behavior rules, but that doesn't mean there are no rules. The alternative to written rules is not no rules. The alternative to written rules is unwritten rules. I've heard of a congregation with the unwritten rule that it is okay to bully as long as you are a dedicated volunteer. That was the unwritten rule. And once the congregation realized that about themselves, they were aghast. They said, we're going to change. So the second stage of change is to consciously do things the old way. You haven't changed yet, but you've realized what's going on. You're aware of your patterns. You make the implicit explicit. So when you try and throw a baseball, you know that your elbow is straying out too far. The third stage of change is to consciously do things the new way. So when you try and throw the baseball, get your elbow in position. This stage can feel awkward. It is not easy to throw a ball when you're making decisions and adjustments for each part of the throw. So after yet another awkward attempt, you, you look back at the good old days when throwing the ball felt natural and free. And then you remember that in the good old days, the ball didn't go where you wanted it to go. So you keep practicing. Eventually, it becomes effortless to throw the ball in the new way, and that is stage four, unconsciously doing things the new way. Stage three feels forced, mechanical, illiberal. Stage four feels natural and free. Sometimes the covenant here at UUCCWC has been as simple as the golden rule. Easy to buy into, but perhaps not enough guidance to change your behavior. Sometimes your covenant has been extremely long. How long, does anyone remember? Several pages long. So plenty of guidance, but perhaps distracting from the essence of it. I like the balance of your current covenant. And I wonder how your current covenant feels for you. How does it feel to say, the spirit in me sees the spirit in you? For me, that feels good. (laughs) And sometimes it's as easy as taking a shared breath. But sometimes the complications of life get in the way. It's not so easy. Your covenant also says, we listen to one another with respect and open hearts, intending to understand. We take the time to listen deeply before responding. For many of us, that is a major change of culture. So listen deeply before responding, but I already have an opinion. Okay, here's your covenant again. We speak to one another with kindness, intending to be understood. Intending to be understood. 
but it feels so good to just let it fly. Let's just let it fly. So this covenant of yours is asking a lot. But once you've been doing it for a while, it becomes as natural as throwing a baseball. Is it worth practicing until it feels natural? Like, what if it never does feel natural? That's a reasonable concern. You might say that we don't need a covenant. You might say that the seven principles and six sources are enough to go by. So let's see how far we can get just with the principles and sources. Respect for the inherent worth and dignity of each other. Compassion, equity, interdependence, democracy, acceptance of one another, peace, liberty, justice, the golden rule. So we can get pretty far with just the principles and sources. But I like getting into the details. I need a reminder to listen deeply before responding. That helps me to put aside my own opinion for a minute and explore yours. For me, your church covenant is a helpful supplement to the principles and sources. But what would you do if at General Assembly this year of the Unitarian Universalist Association, what if General Assembly voted to adopt our church covenant as the covenant for the whole association? What would that be like? Imagine covenanting with over 100,000 people that the spirit in me sees the spirit in you. That's not an agreement just to believe in general, in a general way that the spirit in me sees the spirit in you. This is a call for deep personal witness. When you come in the door or you join on Zoom, the spirit in me sees the spirit in you. I cannot do that with 100,000 people. The smaller the group, the deeper the promises we make. When you meet someone from another congregation, you can still act as if they are bought into our covenant. You might even share with them. You might ask about their covenant in their church. Sometimes to help our covenant stay fresh, it can help to look at other covenants. So here is a part of the covenant from Starhawk's a pagan group called Spiral Dance. Here it goes. We agree to treat each other with respect, compassion, love, and humor as we do the sacred work of the goddess. Our intention is that working in this group will be nurturing, fun, creative, and will help each person further their own development while accomplishing the goals of the group. We embrace passion and commitment in our work. We know that this sometimes leads to lively arguments and we support each other in putting forth our ideas freely and defending them strongly while refraining from personal attacks. Conflict is part of life and of all group endeavors. If we have a personal conflict with someone in the group, we agree to deal with it openly honestly and with underlying respect for each other and the work. We will engage with each other privately before we make an issue public. If we are unable to resolve or transform a conflict with someone, 
we agree to ask for help, support, and mediation. Okay, so should we covenant with our committee that should we covenant that our committee meetings are fun, creative, and humor-filled? Should we do that? They they off they often are, but should we make it official? Should we go there? Something to consider. The goal is to have a covenant that you love, that you would gladly be reminded of. You might be wary of covenants, though. Perhaps you've known a covenant to be weaponized. That topic is what we will explore next week. When we consider what to do when someone thinks that someone else is out of covenant. I'll close by inviting you to think of a friendship or other connection you have where you love how you treat each other. Just consider what you love about it. And if you don't have that, I would be glad to talk. What makes you want to spend time with that person? Can you ask for what you need in that relationship? Can you hear what they need in that relationship? And can you imagine in other areas of your life, not necessarily with your closest friend, being able to ask for what you need in order to connect? Please rise and join in singing our closing hymn. It's number 303 in the gray hymnal. That's number 303. It might be 